Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Now this listener tells me, Dave, that you're a It is Monday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Weekend Review with me, Adam Boltwood, Lawrence McKenna. Hello, how you doing? Decent. And Dave O'Brien. Well, cheers, mate. Thanks a lot, buddy. Just going to breeze straight past that. Um, guys, what a great weekend it was, um, especially for me. Uh, just fantastic. First off, Lawrence, we went to have a little little five-side kickabout, didn't we? Uh, we loved it. Saturday we morning. had a great time. It was great. Shout out to uh, listeners Ryan and Brandon who assembled a five-a-side team to take mine and Lawrence's team on. Uh, we were 5 nil down at one point. Um, I did get nutmegged ten times. But experience over youth, Lawrence. We came back. We hammered them, sort of, 10-9. I'd say roughhousing over pretty feet one. Yes, yeah. in many ways. Um, uh. And as if that wasn't enough, we go to the pub, get a quick drink, catch the end of the Manchester United game. I'm thinking, my luck's out, lads. Latan Ibrahimovic is stepping up for a penalty almost as soon as we walk in. But not only does he miss the penalty, but later I find out he might be banned for free games. Everything came up as that house. Everything came up as that house. I couldn't believe it. Um, now part of me thinks this is not a good thing. Zlatan's going to be banned for free games. He's going to come back fresh, raring to go, chomping at the bit to get amongst the goals once again. He's going to bag a hat-trick in his first game back, etc., etc. Well, the rest of you thinks three games lost. How many more games does he have? Nine league games, I think, he'll have left. Thank God um, for the FA Cup, eh, Dave? Thank God for the thank FA God Cup. for the FA Cup. We will talk about Manchester United's disappointing draw with Bournemouth. Not disappointing for me. Uh, we'll also talk about Liverpool smashing Arsenal, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Tottenham being Everton, Kane v Lukaku as that one was billed. Uh, we'll also be rounding up all the European action, as well as talking MLS with the one and only Chris Hennage, who's out there. He's in the United States right now, uh, our man on the ground there. Uh, and we'll oh, did we send talking... him all the way there, just for that? Yeah, of course, mate. You know, the budget on the front three is uh, extraordinary. But there's only one place to start, Monday Night Football. Uh, a real thriller, Dave. Uh, Chelsea beating West Ham 2-1 at the London Stadium. Ten points clear now for Antonio Conte's side. The title race is over. Uh, nearly, nearly. I think Man City are showing a little bit good bit of form at the moment. Tottenham 
pretty decent against Everton, but Chelsea, they do look very, very good, especially defensively. I thought Gary Cahill was absolutely fantastic this evening. Um, ripped his shirt halfway through the first half. That didn't deter him. Made so many key blocks, just very composed on the ball, and it was a good display. And it's sort of that solid foundation has been why Chelsea have done so well this season. Obviously, the solid foundation gives them space to counter-attack, and that's exactly what Chelsea did. Both the goals were excellent. The first one was a, it was a brilliant move from back to front, Eden Hazard rounding it off. But Chelsea just kept on breaking on West Ham after that first goal. West Ham pushed on. They just broke, broke, and broke. And it was, you know, Cesc Fabregas in midfield instead of... Um, Matic is an interesting one and he played very well for me Fabregas next to Kante uh, but I think it was just a good organised defensive performance and it was an Italian performance to say the least and mm. the three centre-halves were, were brilliant Kept Andy Carroll quiet as well those three centre-halves Yeah, I think you, you completely nullified him it's that thing that Chelsea actually dropped to a back five and that they do look more of a, of a 5-4-1 than a 3-4-3 three, um, because they do spend a lot of time in the defensive shape. And yeah, Carroll was a bit anonymous. Snodgrass had moments. Faguli had a few moments, had another pretty reckless tackle that he should have got booked for. Uh, seems to be something that's part of his game, you know, going in and cleaning people out. Seems a bit a bit odd for a flying winger. Uh, but yeah, Chelsea were just better, much better than West Ham. And unfortunately, West Ham suffering another defeat at the Olympic Stadium. Chelsea 10 points clear then, uh, but overall this weekend, an interesting weekend for the top six. The big game, of course, Liverpool winning 3-1 at Anfield against Arsenal. Lawrence, the game overshadowed by a certain Alexis Sanchez. But before we get into all that on the pitch, Lawrence, talk to me about this performance from the Reds. Well, it was impressive. I mean, again, it sort of goes down to the press, um, sort of starting things for Liverpool. Again, it comes down very much so to the fact that Arsenal didn't try and exploit Liverpool's weaknesses at all and didn't play to their strengths which was very weird and it, it's been a the case in a couple of Liverpool Arsenal games very recently so essentially, so essentially I just allowed uh, Mane to run at the back line and also allowed Lallana and um, at times other people who were straying into the area Firmino actually thought did an exceptional job of exploiting the space and starting the press in the same way that Klopp thought Lallana did uh, Firmino and Lallana are two guys who are very good at starting the press for Liverpool I think that's why Klopp's so appreciative of them. Um, also, I think I also think that Arsenal just they didn't seem to uh, they didn't seem to have any sort of idea of how to get around Liverpool's tactics. It didn't seem like there was anyone out there that was kind of thinking or being very proactive. I understand that when Sanchez came on, it sort of played around it, and that was somewhat down to Sanchez, somewhat down to Wenger telling them where to go, what to do. But I also think uh, Klopp managed that reasonably well. Uh, the you know, he managed to change Liverpool's tactics to counter bringing on Sanchez. And ultimately, it played out quite well because when Liverpool were on the ropes, 2-1 up, they went back to 3-1. Um, and obviously, the centre-back partnership for Liverpool also made them a lot more convincing. Uh, Klavan and Matip is probably the best that Liverpool could feel right now. Maybe Saka if he was in there. Um, let me ask you this. <laughs> like, once again, we see Liverpool performing against a top team at home. Uh, having previously been beaten by, at the time, a team in the in the bottom three or four in the table. What is the cause of that? I saw a friend of the show, Nick Morales on Twitter, the super sub himself, saying that he was getting frustrated. He was saying it's one million percent, I believe he said, nothing to do with mentality, nothing to do with the players approaching this game with the wrong mindset. It's all about tactical issues on the field. Is it not somewhere in the middle, maybe, the truth? Well, obviously, I, I do think... But the thing is with Klopp, he is a psychological manager. He's a manager who banks on the fact that his players will um, psychologically follow him. Uh, and therefore, they will play in a very specific way, 
which and when I say a very specific way, they enact the press in a very specific way. They move in a very specific way, a way which is very compacted to becoming suddenly very expanded and, and bursting on another, another side. And so that works very well against an Arsenal. Um, you know, or putting very high pressure to make a mistake happen or sort of a short pass or, you know, to, to stop the play as high up as possible. The problem is when they come up against people who get around that, it's as if the players aren't coached yet to deal with that. And that's what I think a lot of people find unusual because it's not like Liverpool went through a hard game against those players, against a Leicester or a Burnley who they're coming up against next. What they go through is actually very normal football, very sort of things that you'd imagine other teams would deal with quite well. Um, but Klopp doesn't seem to have prepared them for that. And so I think when people talk about mentality, they're, what they're actually talking about is approach um, and sort of the, the way that the team operate when they're out on the pitch. They're not talking about someone being literally or physically weak um although that is sometimes the, the you know the sort of the uh, the the outcome of that i think nick is uh, alluding to something he says he's looked through the numbers and i'm going on the, i'm going on his podcast tomorrow night to discuss it i'm not quite sure what he's going to throw at me because i'm not 100 percent sure where liverpool's numbers fall down but uh, i'm guessing it's somewhere um along the lines of uh poor defensive partnerships therefore a lot of people allowing to be run, being allowed to run at the back line um, and then up front, not poor finishing, but sort of uh, not being able to create, you know, almost an expected goals type model kind of thing. Mm. Definitely go and check out Nick's podcast, Lawrence on it this week. Um, the weekly Rondo or something. The, the Rondo stuff. The, it's got Napoon on it, sadly, but yeah. Well, on Sanchez, Dave, dropped for the game, Wenger claiming post-match for tactical reasons you wanted Giroud in there for that height for that aerial threat it then came out afterwards on Sunday evening that perhaps this wasn't the case that Sanchez had had a furious bust up in training with his teammates Wenger disappointed with his attitude deciding to drop him to the bench and then today in the pre-Champions League press conference Wenger claiming none of this was true whatsoever there was no fight there was no falling out this is all just a ridiculous mess isn't it uh, it is a bit of a mess. Um, Sanchez has shown some pretty, you know, bad tones to his teammates in, in recent weeks. You know, the petulance, the, the tossing of the gloves, the sulking, the, the negative attitude. Now, I think the same sort of thing happened when he left Barcelona, that he went through a same phase of just looking dead grumpy, falling out with teammates and then eventually leaving out of the back door in a way, you know, after serving Barcelona quite well the time he was there, he picked up a La Liga title, uh, but left in pretty interesting circumstances to move to Arsenal. So maybe the same thing has happened again, where Sanchez has seen the hump and he's kicking off. You know, would you like that in training if your teammate just walked off? That's that's what's been reported, that Sanchez just left the training session, just walked off. You know, if I, if I was there, if I was the captain or if I was anything to do with that team, I'd be, I'd be annoyed. This is like, the thing, we don't, we don't I'd, exactly I'd be kicking, know. I'd be the one I'd go at him. I'd be kicking off. But is we it, don't know, though. We, do, we don't know. I think... Wenger was lying today in that Champions League press conference when he said nothing happened. I think it's ridiculous for us and Wenger to claim that when we've seen the reports coming out uh, from a number of different sources in a number of different publications. I don't understand why Wenger has come out to claim that. I'm not sure what purpose he thinks it serves. It, it was strange in the first place, sort of dropping him for the game and sort of going for this sort of halfway house, bringing him on in the second half when he realised, well, actually, we probably need Sanchez. It's not exactly uh, a convincing disciplinary measure when you do uh, sort of go back on it in that way. But at the same yeah, time... But the problem being that you're assuming that he needs to do a disciplinary measure. 
Of course, but I mean, I'm only going on what's been reported in numerous national newspaper sources. I mean, what, what else can we say? Wenger was right. There was no bust up, even though we've seen, as uh, as Sanchez posted on Instagram, uh, a rather interesting post about how the true warrior fights, not because he hates the ones in front of him, but because he loves those behind him. You know, there's all these little hints that I think if you put them all together, based on Sanchez's attitude over the past few weeks, since that, draw a Bournemouth, really. Yeah, but Adam, let apostrophe go, Gunners. Let go. <laughs> exactly. What you're saying let me leave. What do you make of this, Lawrence? Let, because let me apostrophe go. Part of me thinks uh, most Arsenal fans would probably rather have or keep Sanchez at Arsenal than Arsene Wenger at this point, given how the season's going. Uh, people may admire his his sort of fighting spirit and say, you know, I wish more Arsenal players were were like this. They were less satisfied with mediocrity. They were fighting. They were showing their frustrations, be it on the pitch, be it on the training ground. Others will criticise what is reported to be an unprofessional attitude, something that Arsene Wenger needs to, to make an example of. Where do you think, based on what we know, the the line is drawn? What we know is there's currently there is there is currently disharmony in the team. We don't know why. We don't know the cause. We don't know where. We we think we have an inkling as to where that's coming from. It's either well, we know that Alexis is part of that. We know that Wenger is also part of that or complicit in some way because he's allowing that to go on. We also know that Wenger tried to sort of play around that. Um, I guess what we also what we sort of, what I have a problem with and why I have a question is transfer windows over. You're not going anywhere. Why not? Just stay quiet and wait until the summer. Why make it Because he's got the heart of a lion, Lawrence, and he can't accept this middling season that Arsenal are going through, even though they're only six points behind Spurs. Well, I mean, exactly. And part of the problem, I mean, I guess for him is he considers it middling because he will have been sold on the idea that when he first came to Arsenal, they will win things and they haven't won anything of note. The problem being now, it sort of leaves Arsenal fans in the halfway house. They have a player who doesn't essentially want to play in this team, but doesn't mean he doesn't want to play for Arsenal. Although, in many ways, what Arsenal have become, he doesn't want to play for. Um, and they also have a legend of a manager who, in recent times, they, they by the way, what also seems to have been completely swept over here is that uh, Gary Neville said about Arsenal Fan TV they don't seem to have any um, loyalty to Wenger. They don't seem to have any respect for him. That was briefly discussed. Very little was gotten into, and then it was all forgotten about. And now it seems as if they're allowed to go back to, on Arsenal fan TV at least, disrespecting Wenger in some way. So nothing seems to be being addressed at the club. And I think that actually what a lot of fans aren't realising is that's allowing the people at the very top, who they keep criticising, to benefit the most. And then very little happens. Surely, though, Sanchez is off at the end of the season. Wenger, potentially off at the end of the season. This is the end for, for both of them. You can't see them honest, staying I, behind I, this. But, but I, don't, I, don't see that as a, I don't see that as a bad thing. No, I, I don't either. I think that's, I think that's potentially a positive. I think, it's, I think it's frustrating ones again for Arsenal fans because uh, if indeed they do finish outside the top four this season, uh, have those Champions League qualifications been significantly dented by this defeat? It remains to be seen, but... Uh, Sanchez almost represented a change at Arsenal, you know. For all those years of, of building the stadium and paying that off, they weren't allowed to compete in the transfer market at the level of, say, Manchester United, at the level of, say, Chelsea uh, during those seasons. All of a sudden, they Sanchez bring in... is not competing at that level. 
But they Sanchez bring in a, Meza Urza and Sanchez, who are potentially at a different class to players they were signing before, like, say, Mahra and Shamak, for example. But they bring in someone like Alexis Sanchez, who is regarded as as a world-class talent, somebody who will enable them to compete potentially for the title. And yet here we are again uh, with another disappointing season by Arsenal and Arsenal fans' standards. He could potentially be leaving at the end of this campaign along with Arsene Wenger, with Arsenal outside the top four. Uh, again, there's no progress despite that that signing, despite such promise from bringing in someone of the quality of Sanchez. I think when, when Wenger leaves, you'll see the progress that club's made. And I think you'll see... Um, the basis which Wenger built at that club. And I think the part, the part of a manager's job is to look at a situation uh, dispassionately, to remove, um, sometimes passionately, but, but often from, in Wenger's case, dispassionately, um, remove any factors which may be impacting his judgment. And sometimes I think Wenger's, some people question Wenger's judgment, but I think that's, it, that's the part thing, of his job. And I, th- and I think that the, the thing you see is, is as soon as you remove that manager and you have an anti-environment of what that manager was, which is maybe, you know, what went on at Spurs when we saw Sherwood and then Pochettino coming in and doing the opposite, you see the difference. And I think that it's probably a good thing that he will leave it in the season. I, I just don't see what the big fuss is here. I mean, essentially, both teams that took part in this game are currently achieving their level. Liverpool achieving their level. Arsenal achieving their level. Are Arsenal achieving their level? level? Yes, they're, they're, look at the rest of the squad compared to um, compared to others. Look at the players that start. I mean, you still got with Theo Walker, and they. Still isn't the whole, that's the whole point, isn't it? That they shouldn't be. If that is indeed their level, that they shouldn't be at that level. They should be surpassing that. Well, I mean, what compared to what compared to a Chelsea squad that's you know uh, got a brand new manager and a, a manager with a great amount of experience, uh, spent a lot of money on players. Um, uh, compared to a Manchester United squad that's still below them anyway, that's again spent a lot of money on players. If the argument is money and being spent on players, that's one side. A Liverpool squad who have spent more than them in recent years, beat them 3 1. A Bayern squad who was cheaper than them, but ultimately has the power of that league. So let's not pretend like it's just spending power. Maybe, but I mean, uh, Arsenal, maybe they are at the level in that I think Arsenal have got, what, the third or fourth biggest wage bill? In the Premier League, you know, yeah, and I, th- I think that'll be Spurs have got something like half their wage bill, and yet, uh, yeah, currently they're outperforming. And I think, but I think what, what you will see is when this manager leaves, you'll see a basis for another manager to build. And I don't think, and I think you'll be very grateful at that point as an Arsenal I, fan. I agree, but I think as well that can't be an excuse for you know what we've said is time and time again, ten years of stagnation at the club, albeit those initial years, as I say, paying off the stadium. I don't think Arsenal are performing at a level they should be, given their resources in those in, in, in recent seasons. Essentially, I don't think they no, should I, be I the going should, to I Liverpool and being defeated in this manner. And I don't think either Arsene Wenger's handled this situation well. The dropping Sanchez for that game, claiming it was a tactical decision, coming out now and saying it's all lies, even though you know I think these are very well sourced journalists that are. That are making these reports. I well, just don't I mean, think the, it's a sensible way to handle the all, situation. Yeah, all those other people wouldn't be reporting it if there wasn't a story in it. Yeah, there's no smoke um, without fire, as they say. Yeah, although some people, some people really bet on that. And I watched a very satisfied editor of the Sun sitting back and just talking bollocks on the Sunday supplement. So, wow. you know, there's uh, sometimes there is smoke without fire, Adam. It's just that sometimes those flames are easily fannable. Let's talk Manchester United. 
Dave, the fourth time this season that they've had 20-plus shots without winning in the Premier League, more than any other side. A disappointing day at Old Trafford, expected to win this game against Bournemouth at home, to put pressure on Liverpool, to put pressure on that top four. But once again, only a point at home, Dave. What is going on? Ooh, stats. Beat the person with a stick with stats. Anyway. (laughs) Dangerous defence to go down there. uh, Dangerous defence. Surely though, Dave, the problem is that if those those stats are not good stats, then it's not a good stick. There we go. Is it a statty stick, Adam, that you're beating me with? It's a huge club, mate. It's a stat club. Well, wow. um, to, to protect the boys and obviously defend the Man United agenda, um, we'll, we'll <laughs> take Tyrone Mings. Um, should have been sent off. Um, the same with uh, good old Dan Gosling as well. Should have no, seen no. Uh, you know, second, <laughs> the second yellow card. Should have gone. Should have been sent off. So United should have, in fact, been playing um, against uh, eight men. But they're, in fact, would, against ten. And Dave, would that Paul not have meant they'd have lost three Lawrence, runs? Lawrence, Lawrence, hold on. And Paul Pogba can't dictate the play well enough against 10 men. But if it was against eight men, maybe he wouldn't be playing stupid long balls from inside his, you know, inside the centre circle when it was like 70 minutes gone when you needed to get the ball it's wide and cross point. it. It's and, a great point. Work them from left to right. I think that was why United lost, was the referee once again. It was all his fault. It's like he should have sent off yeah. Mings for that and stamp. Did you, see where, did you see where Tyra Mings headbutted Zlatan's elbow? Terrible. Uh, it was just, that should be like a 10-game ban. Just ridiculous. Um, surely, though, Dave, <sighs> despite, uh, <laughs> despite these incidents, <laughs> some of the blame has to not fall on the referee's shoulders and the team itself, though. Mm, you could do. If you were to look into a little bit more detail, you would have seen Zlatan Ibrimovic miss four chances from inside the penalty area that he had to have scored. The one from Ant- that Anthony Martial created for him, I don't know how he missed it. He like got his legs tangled up on himself. Um, and Zlatan was misfiring, which means Manchester United are misfiring, and it's um, a little becoming a little bit of an issue that other players are missing chances. Paul Pogba again missed three golden opportunities, won the one v one, which you know, he created end. himself great, a great run from inside his half. And I think you, we've got to remember that Paul Pogba played very, very well in that first half. It was just poor in the second half. And it, it's you know it is his age, his, his maturity as a player. And I mentioned before the joking, switching the ball and so forth, but he wasn't doing that. And the substitutions for Mourinho were very poor. I've lauded Mourinho's good changes this year. He got it completely wrong against Bournemouth. You know, taking off Wayne Rooney, who this season has a moment in him. He has a moment in the game, and he hadn't had that moment yet. And that's all Wayne Rooney has done. He's either scored or assisted, and he always has that one moment. Would have left Wayne Rooney on. In terms of taking off Michael Carrick, pretty silly if you're not going to bring on Ander Herrera. United lacked Ander Herrera's intensity in the centre of the park in terms of his pressing, his ability on the ball, and so forth. Um, and then the last change of bringing on Jess Lingard for Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw had an absolute wonderful game. Luke Shaw was brilliant. Luke Shaw was United's best player at fullback. And, you know, as the game goes on, as the game stretches, you want your fullbacks to cross the ball. That's what Mourinho has done really well re- uh, when he has changed games with substitutes is he's got it to the fullbacks and then he's crossed. This just was crossing from the wrong places, was like straight balls up to the top, so easy to defend against. But again, Luke Shaw, so good. You're bringing on off a left fullback that can get forward very well for a right-footed attacking midfielder that can't take throw-ins. There's your issue. We do have to talk, uh, of course, Lawrence, uh, about the mad five minutes uh, just before half time, where 
Tyron Mings appeared, first off, to stamp on Zlatan Ibrahimovic's head. A lot of debate. Appeared? Well, appeared, Adam. He stamped on his head. I've got a doubt in my mind as to whether it was intentional or not. But if, if, if you roll it back, if you roll it back, Zlatan stamps on Mings, then Mings stamps on He tried to, didn't he? He did try to give him a little... Hadouken! A little elbow to the face. It was pretty yeah. brutal. Both as bad as each other, but... Um... Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't look... It's not... It, it's harder to prove intent from Mings. I th- that's part of the problem, is that he sort of looks down and you could construe it either way. No one knows what's going on in his head, but it looked think, like, well, maybe he's trying to miss his head. Maybe he's trying to stamp on his head. There is a big issue, though, isn't there, in slowing something down to 240 frames or whatever and then being like, oh, look at this happening in real time. Yeah, uh, to try and uh, to try and understand when someone's thoughts are going so much quicker than that is, is a bizarre yeah. process. But the FA have given both of them, uh, they've both been charged with violent conduct. Uh, Zlatan's going to be banned for three games by the looks of it, uh, free domestic games. They're going for more for Tyrone Mings because it's a stamp, and that's deemed more serious, despite, as you say, uh, the lack of being able to prove the intent. Lawrence, mm. the rules are the rules. The rules are the rules. Um, both red card yeah, offences. So is the offside rule, though, Dave. Yes, but in a few years, Lawrence, when I'm a technical director at the FA, the, the offside rule will be, going, will be reverted to previous legislation. Really? What about the stamp on the head rule? Um, we'll we'll look into that I think because getting stamped on the head is pretty brutal, but so is getting elbowed in the face. So is getting elbowed in there. Pretty, I mean, both I mean, pretty dangerous. Pretty the thing silly. is, the thing the thing is right. I don't think we would be laughing so much or sort of treating this so trivially. Don't know if I've laughed. So if Tyrone Mings, if if Tyrone Mings, it's hilarious, mate. If Tyrone Mings had gone down to the ground unconscious, same with Zlatan Ibrahimovic though. Same thing. Yeah, no, no, but no, but Dave, Dave, we do have to understand that it's there again. We know the, we know we're very sure of the intent from Zlatan, and we may be sure of the intent from Mings as well. But the the difference is that actually, both players, both players were basically essentially tried to give the other player a head injury. I don't think we'd be laughing if if either of them say had the reaction that Torres had when he was knocked out. I think a lot of people would be much more traumatised by what was going on and we'd probably be treating it much I more I don't seriously. think it helps Latin either Latin saying the fact that Mings jumped into his elbow. I don't think that helps his case <laughs> at all. Um, Dave, as I, said, true, as I said Tell before, you, the truth. I, you know, I was delighted to see him miss the penalty, Zlatan. Um, I was delighted to see that he might be getting a ban. Mm, do you think he's going to come back stronger from this? Do you think Manchester United are going to well, be able I, to cope I, without him? Because as you said, they, they are reliant upon the big sweep. Yeah, well, um, you know, the stats that were reeled off last week in terms of what he's he scored 33% of United's goals in all competitions, been directly involved in 50% of the goals in the Premier League, is a big miss. Um, and it's kind of a Diego Melito-esque player um, that has left the United team. You know, the Inter Milan team, Mourinho Inter Milan team was all geared to Diego Melito. Same with Zlatan. So whether Marcus Rashford can step in, you know, definitely whether Wayne Rooney could play um, as a number nine, why not? You know, if Henrik Mkhitaryan's back in the team, don't matter who's ahead of him. He'll create chances all day long. So I'm not too worried, to be honest. And I think it might be good for the team to, you know, have another string to their bow in a way to go, OK, right, we can start Marcus Rashford ahead of Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Obviously, this is not nothing to do with the bet. In terms of the bet, I want him straight back in the team um, ASAP. But I did sort of mention earlier on in the season that he will go for another bad bad patch of form of goal scoring. And that's probably going to be around now, you know, out of the team, struggle to get back with his fitness. And then it's going to be like, I reckon, right, five games to go. He'll need to score five goals. 
and he's going um, to do it. Uh, you know, I'm yeah, not, then it's going to be my hopes. So. My hopes aren't up. I'm still expecting to have to bleach my hair, to be honest. But this is a nice little uh, bit of hope, glimmer. Dave, I've been asked by a listener, a dedicated, intelligent listener, okay, to ask you, Uh-oh. whereabouts in Manchester United are based? South Manchester, Lawrence. South Manchester, Dave. Really. Yes, Lawrence. And uh, what about what about a city? North Manchester, Lawrence. Interesting. Now, this listener tells me that you're a. This listener must be. You just said that he was intelligent. And he says, "Tell Dave, United are west of Manchester, and the city are east, not <sighs> north and south." He's a. Same thing, Mancunian, yeah. Same thing. Just the basics. What's, what's the difference? North and south, east and west, Lawrence. Come on, get a fucking get a map out. <laughs> I don't know what is going on right now. <laughs> well, Dave, it. this listener calls you a. F- yeah, we got that the, the first time. I think. Um, to be, if we're going to be really precise, right? So if 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 we do got Manchester, it's like it's it's south west Manchester, and the city ground would be north east Manchester. Right. Honestly, if we got a protractor out or, you know, some sort of angle calculator or, or, or a compass or a compass. Right. And if any of those and me- measuring equipment I just mentioned there, we'd find, in fact, that that was the case. So our, our fellow listener, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. Are you calling them? No, no. You see, I'm a, I'm a respectable professional. This one's going to be marked explicit, Adam. South Manchester, East Manchester, who knows? They're six though. West Manchester, uh, it's not hard. You, you said the two places they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> because who knows, Lawrence? We'll never know in many ways. It's, it's, yeah, um, you're right. The map can lie. Tottenham, though, of North London, I think it is. The team in second place in the table uh, as it stands right now. Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, you always mere, have to say as it stands. A mere when 10 points behind. When's that mentality uh, going to set in? I don't think they are going to choke, Dave. That was uh, their ninth home win in a row against Everton, a 3-2 win. And despite the scoreline, it was uh, it was a dominant performance. Spurs were comfortable for hmm, 90% of the game. Um, Jan Vertonghen, he had Romelu Lukaku in his pocket, apart from the one time where he made one <laughs> literal slip-up. <laughs> apart from the time that he put him on his ass and put the ball <laughs> in the back of the net. But yeah, he had apart a great game. <laughs> but apart from that, I thought he handled uh, Lukaku very well. Um, yes, it was... Uh, Lukaku shrugging off Super Yan uh, towards the end of the game and, and rifling it in to uh, Luis's bottom right-hand corner. But apart from that, I think Spurs looked comfortable. You know, uh, Kuman. I'm not sure where he set up too negative. The first 20 minutes, you know. Too <laughs> so negative. He played like three, four ball-winning midfielders in central midfield. Uh, yeah, it? but the, the, for, for the first 20 minutes, it seemed to work. You know, it seemed to frustrate them. There was no space between the lines for, for Kane and Ali to sort of receive the ball. After 20 minutes, the one time Harry Kane did manage to find a gap, fires off a shot straight into the net. And that sort of, you know, opened up the game a little bit. Um, The frustration would be, despite how good Kane was and how prolific he's been in 2017, you know, he should have scored more in that match. He said to himself in the post-match interview, you know, Spurs on the whole had 20 shots. We should have scored more goals. And there is that worry occasionally that Spurs will let their lead slip and let that dominance slip uh, and pay for their profligacy in front of goal. Um, and the Spurs almost did in this game, despite the fact that on the whole they were comfortable. Um, Everton almost punished them for, for not taking their chances earlier in the game. But as I said, nine home wins in a row, 
of the 11 games left, only three are against teams in the top 10. Southampton next to our 10th. Uh, Arsenal at White Hart Lane at the end of April. And of course, Manchester United. I'm pretty confident now that we will finish in the top four. We're we going to finish above Arsenal again. <laughs> I'm more uh, hopeful than expectant. Something just tells me that Arsenal, you know, they're only, as I said, they're only six points behind Spurs with a game in hand, despite this uh, season of apparent turmoil. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it how it all pans out. But builders Kane v Lukaku, uh, as you discussed in your podcast today, Dave, um, who would you rather have in your team? Mm, this was a good one. Um, I did come to the conclusion in in the podcast, Adam. So, of course, people need to click on that before I can tell them the answer. But in terms That's of both nice strikers, I love their great the great variation in, in their play, um, and the, the stylistically, they're like the the polar opposite. You've got. Harry Kane, who's more of a you know a ball playing forward, and then Lukaku is is just your poacher. So clinical, so many goals he scored this season. He's just in the penalty area alone, three yards out, and he'll put it in with a header or a volley. Um, and in terms of goal scoring, they've been excellent in the in the last four seasons. In fact, Kane has scored more goals than than Lukaku in, in that time frame. Um, but if you take out the penalties, Lukaku has scored more than Kane. But again, you've got to look at how, if, if Kane's won the penalty and so forth. So they're so they're so similar and they're so close. And obviously the 19 goals Kane has scored this season in the Premier League makes him the top scorer at the moment. But Lukaku in behind it with 17 goals. I, just, I love the variation. I love that they're both young players and they're both playing their football in the Premier League. But it's not going to be long before, unfortunately, they're both going to move on. Adam, unfortunately, you know, Real what? Madrid. What are you talking they're about? They're going to come calling. No, I think Lukaku will be moving on uh, maybe the end of next season. Kane is no, a lifer, mate. He's a lifer. I can see the likes of, say, Deli Ali moving to uh, one of the European giants. I think Harry Kane's a lifer, mate. The club's I don't in his heart, mate. He, I, I think he's too good, unfortunately. Too good for Spurs. A, I think he's at that level. Challenging where, uh, for the title, you know? I know, but you're just not going to get there, Adam. Really? It happens every year. No, mate. This is. Uh, the last seven games. Let's see what happens, mate. Pochettino just happens. bottles it, mate. Let's see but, what happens this season. Let's see what happens. Of course, Lukaku's never scored 20 goals in the Premier League season, Lawrence. So obviously you'd rather have Harry Kane in your team. Um, okay. <laughs> a convincing <laughs> argument put forward. Nailed I'm it. glad that you agree Harry with Harry Kane would be, would be so good at Liverpool. It'd be perfect. Yeah. Harry Kane, Lukaku would be amazing at Liverpool. Unfortunately, Actually, you know what? He, he, would have been, he would have been good under Rodgers. Not so much under uh, Klopp. <gasps> Breathing down Tottenham's neck in the third place are Manchester City just a point behind Spurs with a game in hand. 2-0 they won at Sunderland. Comfortable performance. Uh, Sergio Aguero scoring his fifth goal in three games uh, to give them all three points. David Moyes' side rooted to the bottom of the table. Almost certain of relegation now, Lawrence. Yeah, well, I mean, you will you will be certain in relegation if you're dour like that. Um, although, actually, some of them really made it very hard for Man City. What I find unusual was, a week ago, David Moyes said, uh, we have 12 games left, uh, but one of those against, is against Man City. So, uh, essentially, what he was saying was, we have 11 games left. He then set up his team to completely kill themselves out on the pitch for the cause. And you sort of think, Okay, so what are you thinking on this? Are you thinking we are going to lose, therefore we should put in a, a vast amount of effort and almost waste energy on that? Or is it better to show the fans that in the 12 games we've got left, even though we're going down, we're trying to stay back up, uh, we're trying to stay up, even though it's too late anyway? I don't, get the, I don't get the idea. I just don't get it. I don't get how he's motivating this side. 
Um, at least, I don't think what, um, well, the thing is, what's difficult for me outside is if he'd stayed quiet, then you sort of think, well, you know, we fair enough. We, you know, we we don't know. But a week ago in public, he was saying, well, one of those games is against Man City. So he, he, even if he's not giving that message to the squad, he's still giving a very disappointing message to the fans and showing that he doesn't think that Sunderland can compete. So overall, it's it's just a really disappointing message that Sunderland is sending out. And if, if they'd have won this week, even then he wouldn't have been vindicated. So I understand it. Sometimes he's frustrated. But the problem is with this side, they rely way too much on Defoe. Um, and, you know, with City, they had some really great spells of football. I think most people have been impressed with the wingers this week. Um, that's probably because their back line wasn't really, uh, didn't, didn't do as well as it should have done, to be honest. Uh, and I think some of them were quite profligate in the way that they wasted a lot. Um, Leroy Sane, though, eh? points. Mm. In Sane Lee Good. Does that work? Uh, yeah, but I think yeah. it's been you before. <laughs> Six points clear of safety, though. Sunderland. Calls for David Moyes to get sacked. Surely it's too late now. I know we've Where's seen... Where's he going? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I don't know who you're going to get in at this point. Surely we've seen... I understand the temptation in that we've seen the, the uplift from Leicester, who made that decision to get rid of Ranieri, which was so controversial. Swansea as well have seen that uplift with a change in manager. But at this point, 11 games left. It's too late, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, yeah, they're starting to be caught adrift really in the league and the performances aren't really warranting a team. You can't, you know, you don't really believe that Sunderland are going to stay up. We see teams that come to sort of this point, they start like kicking on, they start, you know, the players are, are jaded up. These guys just look done, you know, that they're, they're, we're already relegated. It's like they're, it's already happened, you know, that big chance that Barini missed as well. And it's the calibre of the striker that Sunderland have. Obviously, Jermaine Defoe's quality, but everyone else in that side, they're hot and cold and Barini has always been hot and cold in his Premier League career. You know, the other guy they're going to be looking out for creativity and goals, Yanazai, hot and cold in his career. So there isn't much hope at all for Sunderland, unfortunately. Is there any hope for Middlesbrough, though? Uh, a 2-0 defeat at Stoke without a win in 10 games and they haven't scored in four. Three points adrift of safety, safety calls for Itok Aranka to be sacked it's a difficult one with Middlesbrough because they're defensively quite good. They're just going forward. They've they've been so poor and they, they sold the Gary goals, Gary goals of the championship, Jordan Rose, to Sheffield Wednesday who scored two goals at the weekend. That could be something they'll look back on and go, I don't, you know, why is it not work with Jordan Rose? Because he's got a great goal scoring record across every single league he's played in. And it just seems that Karanka hasn't trusted him at all in the Premier League. And Borre, you know, the goal-wise, stats-wise, they scored 19 goals in the Premier League this season. That's five more than any other side. Five fewer, sorry, than any other side. So they're just, they've not been good enough. And maybe their defensive structure and defensive shape is restricting them going forward. So there's, they've got to try something. And obviously they, they could have tried Jordan Rose. Jordan Rose is a better player than Rudy Gestead, 100%. Rudy Gestead was so rotten for Aston Villa. So, so rotten in the Premier League. And I don't know why they've brought him in and let Jordan Rose go. It's it's an interesting one. Negredo not even coming off the bench against um, Stoke. So it appears that the confidence has gone in him as well. So, you know, the goals have got to come from somewhere. And it, I can't find them in this team as well, which is a big, big worry for Middlesbrough. Mm. Manchester United up next at home. And after that, the start of April, a free game run of Swansea away, Hull away and Burnley at home. Do you think that could be that could be decisive? In, Formative in times for them. Yeah, they're all six pointers, mate. That's 
six, that's 18 points, you know. That could lift them right out of trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of Swansea, however, uh, as I said, on the up, uh, back-to-back wins for them, a uh, 3-2 win over Burnley, a hard-fought win, a last-minute goal from Fernando Lorente. Um, not only is he good-looking, deadly with his head, but this game, not without controversy, Lawrence. Similar to you, um, Adam. Thank you. Um, I've had, a strange one. There was the push in the back from Fran Lorente for that winning goal. I think that's undeniable. But sure. watching match of the day, seeing Sean Dyche come out and complain about not getting big decisions in his post-match interview, when in that very game, Burnley got a penalty for a handball from their own player. Found that one yeah. a little bit strange, a little bit hard to understand from uh, from Big hey, Sean. Well, I mean... I mean, maybe he'd been shown one and not the other. Uh, you know, I mean, there's not very long after the post-match. So they do sort of go straight off. And seen uh, the replays. But maybe he'd only seen the replay of one, you know. Um, or, may, you know, because Match of the Day probably did, or whoever was interviewing probably did, did the old, uh, oh, have you seen this? Ah, well, what do you think of that? Um, so essentially it's editing. Um, I mean, it's not like he's going to deny, do you know what I mean? Uh, that they got a good decision there. Um, essentially, he's he's complaining because they didn't get a decision that they rode, but at the other end, they got another decision. It's not a case of it equals itself out. It's a case of the officiating was wrong on both ends. <laughs> uh, Anthony Taylor, of course, referee. Um, Still been 2-1. He'd been on a stag do earlier in the week in Marbella. Uh, so? <laughs> with none other than uh, Kevin Friend. Some suggestions that maybe that tainted the performance, Lawrence. You know, Still feeling the effects. Uh, <laughs> what, the insinuation that because you've been on a stag do almost a week earlier, um, three days. Actually, I'll have you know, he got back three days earlier, mate. That's one stonking hangover, though, isn't it? <laughs> I've had a three day hangover from a stag do before. Jeez. Oh God, I've had some bad hangovers from oh, stag do's. Yeah, yeah, but three days. Three days, mate. Without you haven't done a stag do right if you don't have a three day stag uh, hangover. In my Stango, opinion. Um, yeah. What's, uh, I, I had to go to bed at eight o'clock after the first evening of one stag do. <laughs> that's that's pretty wild. That is wild. Yeah, what's the um, pretty what, insane? What's your best stag do experience, Dave? It's probably that one actually. That was, a, that was a brilliant hangover slash still being drunk in <laughs> Manchester. <laughs> I tell you what, if you ever go to a stag do, do like a have like a fun game where you got to go around whichever town or city you're in and like collect certain things. Like gets obviously the the best man will probably arrange this, but it just makes it really fun to do like loads of random stuff. But it also makes you go to bed at eight o'clock in the afternoon or in the early evening. Such so. as what collecting what? Uh, like everything. Like you had to take pictures with certain people. Like you had to take Women. pictures at the hacienda. Mm. Um, we had to drink out of a boot, um, which we took to the cricket Classic. and drank out the boot at the cricket. And I think that's probably why I went to bed at eight o'clock. Um, but it was, it was great fun. Great fun. Difficult no, to drink out of the boot. A boot. As oh, in right, a right. boot. A leather um, boot. Lawrence, what's your best uh, stag do experience? Uh, just had a really good sort of, uh, you know, light buzz and then bed by 12. It was lovely. Uh, really lovely. nice and relaxed. Just a very sort of tame night. Uh, we, we all felt better the day after. Bloody um, it was a good time. And actually, uh, the, the, the brunch was beautiful. Ooh, uh, it was a that's, lovely cultured. that's a cultured stag do, lovely. Really nice. No three really day hangover there. Um, well, I mean, it was it was essentially it was just three days of beautiful rest in a in a retreat. So relaxing. in many ways, it, it was just a hangover of life, Adam. Sounds sounds delightful. <laughs> um, my best stag do experience was uh, a superhero costume themed fancy dress stag do. 
uh, sure. which ended uh, at 2 a.m. with the Hulk fighting Spider-Man in Central Amsterdam. That was was pretty unforgettable. <laughs> did Hulk did Hulk smash? Hulk tried to smash. He did indeed. But um, wow. Captain America jumped in. He split up. You know, Batman got in there as well. You are a bit like a, a sort of a doughy Captain America, aren't you? Doughy, mate. I'm I'm got rock solid abs, mate. Let me tell you. No, I mean, Captain America, the thing is, I, I didn't sort of mean you were doughy. I just sort of meant Captain America's absolutely ripped. And yeah, therefore, whoever. <laughs> this is like that time you said uh, Mario Goethe wasn't fat, was it? Sure, mate. Lawrence, man. He's got a problem with fat people, you, Lawrence. <laughs> Lawrence, this has gone too far. I think we're going to have to have a word off the podcast. You're fattest, mate. You've got a problem with people who have got a little mate, bit Mate, I don't think I'm the fattest. Lawrence. <laughs> Let's uh, quickly round up the rest of the Premier League action. Um, no, Palace. Don't round anything up. If anything, you need to slim it down, all right? <laughs> Terrible, terrible People like you make me feel sick, mate. Palace are out of the bottom three, guys. Um, they've escaped from danger. 2-0 win over West Brom, away from home. Back-to-back wins now. Back-to-back clean sheets. With Mamadou Saka at the back, Lawrence. This is the big Sam we all know and like. You know? He's back. And like. We passionately like you. Um, yeah, yeah, we... Right. It, it, completely agree. A bit of a weird performance, really. Uh, unusual. Uh, I mean, Dave said that they'd turn it around by, uh, what, end of February? Early March now? Dave's mm. about right. I mean, uh, Sam, yeah. Big Sam said himself as well. Mystic sort of Dave strikes again, eh? I mean, to be fair, it was the same prediction that Big Sam made. Um, right, right. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Big Sam are boys, Lawrence, that's why. Boys or men, Dave? Boys. Sam, is a, Sam, 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 Sam was on the stag too, actually, in Manchester. He went nuts. Got really pissed. <laughs> was he? <laughs> um... <laughs> We get secretly recorded it. Was that when he was drinking that pint of wine? It was actually. It also it also also sort of ended in a nice run of games for West Brom, uh, who've been on uh, quite a nice run after the Tottenham loss. I think that was about six, five, six games ago now. Um, So uh, essentially, Crystal Palace broke something up that West Brom were on. Whereas if you look look the other way, um, Crystal Palace were on somewhat of a. well, a disappointing run of games and beating Middlesbrough counts as a disappointing run. All right. Mm. Uh, next up, they play Watford and then they play uh, Southampton and then they play Arsenal and then they play Leicester and then they play Liverpool. I think they'll get nine points from that run. <laughs> a good prediction, a bold prediction, and I like mm, it. Um, Mystic Lawrence. Dave, not I'm only, only about. I'm only saying, that's not a bad prediction. Dave, not only about Sacco, who again impressed uh, in the heart of defence for Crystal Palace, Wilfried Zaha with a fantastic opening goal. Uh, he's now been directly involved in more goals this season than his last three Premier League seasons combined. He's got five goals and six assists, of course, after this game, fueling talk of a move to Spurs once again. But could he be the key to keeping Palace up, Dave? I think he's he's slowly starting to mature. Uh, it's taken him a while, um, but eventually these sort of you know creative types will have uh, you know uh, whatever happens at training or that something will click with them, and I think that's what's happened with with Wilfred Zaha this season especially it sort of started the end back in the last season and as you mentioned he's been directly involved in 34% of Palace's goals so he is a, he's a key component and I thought that maybe Big Sam may restrict him a little bit get him to do too much defensive work but it's kind of Sam's half freeing him half drilling him down to his responsibility so I think it's it's working well for Sam Allison, and obviously Wilfred Zaha would I if I were Spurs would I take him at Spurs after the end of this season probably not you know I think you've got to give him another year of playing 
consistent football. I don't think he'd be good enough to be at Spurs and, and make that you know impact off the bench over and over again that they've always required. I don't think he's good enough to get into their starting eleven. So oh, I wouldn't sign him. I'd like Spurs. him as an option. I would like him as an option. Uh, I think when you see uh, against Everton. <laughs> Moussa Zoko come off the bench. You can't help but think, mm, maybe someone like Wilfred Zaha, a bit of that pace, you know, a bit of that injection of um, something a little bit unpredictable would make a difference off the bench, what? just as an option in the squad. Beating yeah. the fullback five times and beating himself once and losing the ball and going out for a throw, mate. You mate. want you want Suzoko's power down that <laughs> flank? Yes, it has worked well for Spurs so far this season. Uh, very decisive. Um, also at the Bombers' table, we've got to talk about Leicester once again. A victory uh, for Craig Shakespeare, uh, a 3 1 win over Hull City. Leicester have now scored twice as many Premier League goals in their last two games under Shakespeare as they did in their last 10 matches under Claudio Ranieri. What's changed, Lawrence? What, what's going on here? Well, it's completely the mentality, Adam. Uh, it's mentality. Oh, lovely. Mentality. No, it, um, it's basically now, apparently, uh, according to Danny Drinkwater, um, down to uh, a simplification of tactics. Uh, which seems like a enormous classic. <laughs> they couldn't handle it before. They couldn't handle it before under Ranieri. Well, Too much. No, I do, no, I do think like, some people. Some people talk about the tinker, uh, the tinker man, um, and you know how sometimes that confuses players. I think we're seeing a similar situation here, where Ranieri was giving uh, or confusing players. I, I'm not sure they were over complex or um, particularly problematic in that sense. I imagine that certain players could enact those, but. Uh, at this point in the season, I think certain people were panicking and there was a, a, a mentality of sorts which stopped players from uh, doing exactly what Ranieri wanted. You do so hear it over and over again, back to basics, you know? I don't even think it's back to basics. I don't think it's basic what they do. I do, uh, although it seems very obvious, I do also think that they're, it's basically that they they needed to work out what their game plan was more specifically than actually having a number of different actions to do out on the pitch. I don't think it's basics. If you the Statman Day Football podcast um, last week, last Wednesday, in fact, went into it in greater detail. We were talking basically about how Leicester City in his last five games, Ranieri switched his system every single game, and he went from like a three-five-two to a diamond with uh, Okazaki in the middle. And I can kind of see what some of these players are saying. If they, it was just those last six games where they thought, right, he's not got this anymore. I could kind of understand why they'd want him to to move on and whatever and why they are getting, you know, they are on a better run of form, but they owed him a little bit more. They owed him a little bit more time on the training field and so forth. But it is quite interesting that he did try a few too many tricks in the book uh, before his, his dismissal. It's quite remarkable to see that change in performance. I mean, uh, Mares with his first goal since November in this game, his first from open play since April 2016. I mean, with this upturn in performance, Dave, could they really do it? Could they beat Sevilla in that second leg being 2-1 down at the moment? I think it's it's one of the most interesting ties. I think the Real Madrid game is going to be really good because um, Napoli, obviously, as you mentioned, Adam, on the game of two halves, they've got the best front three in world football. Great podcast. Great podcast. Um, but I think this is going to be the one that's going to be very, very open. Um, that goal that, Le- that Leicester scored it was so crucial and, and sort of the luck that they got, the, they you know Sevilla hit the bar, they hit the post, Schmeichel was in an inspired form. This Sevilla team is better than this Leicester City team. They tore them apart, but they didn't score enough goals at home and they conceded that away goal. If Leicester City nicked a goal and sat deep, what they've done for time and time again, they could undo this Sevilla team like they undid uh, Liverpool, like they undid Manchester City. One goal is all that it takes and, and Leicester City could go through to the next round. And it's that big. They score the first goal, they're in. 
they let Sevilla start to dictate the play and they don't pressurise them in the right areas, they'll lose the game. But I kind of think this is the one where we might see a reverse of what we actually expect because Sevilla are playing so well this year in the league and the Champions League. We've got a week until that game does kick off, so it'll be interesting to see if indeed Leicester can carry their resurgent league form into the Champions League. Finally, in the Premier League this weekend, Watford 3, Southampton 4. A fantastic game. Nathan Redmond, the star with two goals. A few in talk of an England call-up for his performance. Uh, Gabby Adini as well. <laughs> and a move to Spurs, Adam. Yeah, and a move to Spurs. <laughs> uh, Gabby Adini continues red-hot form. Bit of a freebie from Horelio Gomez uh, as well. 4-3 um, ended to the wayside anyway for Southampton now up to 10th in the table. Uh, putting behind them that EFL defeat to Manchester United last weekend. Let's move on to talk the opening week of MLS with the one and only Chris Hennage out Major League States. Soccer. Round Major up, League. Round up, round up, round up. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Chris, how you doing out there in the United States? How's it going? I'm not bad. How are you? Decent, mate. Enjoying your time out there? Yes, yes. Uh, just landed today, so it's... It's only just begun. Did you manage to catch some of the first week of MLS action? I did. I was fortunate enough to, to catch it last night as I had an early flight out. So I just uh, powered through and, and stayed up on the, the Sunday night. So yeah, it was, a, it was a good first round, all told. Some interesting headlines. First up, New York Red Bulls spoiling expansion side Atlanta United's debut. Uh, but still, despite the 2-1 defeat, Tata Martino's side impressing, Chris. Yes, I thought they were a little bit unlucky to, to lose. Um, I think they'll maybe look back at that game and, and point to chances like Miguel Almiron being one on one and things like that as, as really key turning points because I think for good portions of the game, the Red Bulls were kind of out of it. Now, in fairness to them, they had a CONCACAF Champions League game to attend to in Vancouver. So there was a lot of travelling for those legs to do um, last week. But yeah, I, th- I thought in terms of an opening performance, uh, a sort of standard setter, if you will, I thought it was really impressive from Atlanta. They were quick. They were actually quite cohesive for a team that was, was still in its infancy. But also the the, the players that they kind of bought on, on big money, like suppose Martinez, Almiron, I thought they showed real glimmers of quality. And, and I'll be amazed if, if they don't play some really scintillating stuff that, that has end product during it this, this season. I'm excited to see how they develop. I'm heading out to see... I believe it's going to be their third game against Chicago Fire, I think they're playing. Uh, and as you said, the uh, the crowd, it was a sellout, wasn't it? 
in that first game at home to get 55,000 people there to see some of the atmosphere they were generating for an expansion side is impressive. It really is, yeah. I think, look, there were some slightly unsavoury elements. There was a couple of beers thrown at players. There was a, a chant that was slightly homophobic um, circulating every time the goalkeeper took a, a goal slightly. kick. But, um, I mean, I only say that because it can be interpreted in a number of different ways, as is the case with words. Um, but I'm inclined to believe that it's, uh, it's only really got one meaning. But apart from that, yeah, I thought it was a fantastic turnout. I thought, actually... It was a direct consequence of a team that has been very diligent in the way it's put itself together. I think you can talk about signing big names and, and you know getting real big stars to put bums on seats, but I think honestly, if you construct your team in a way that suggests you have sporting integrity, I think you'll get fans hand over fist. And I think that's what happened in Atlanta. They, they saw a project that wasn't just trying to, to ride off the back of a wave. It was something that genuinely wanted to not just compete, but I also think leave a mark in, in American soccer. A promising debut then for Atlanta, less so potentially for the other expansion side, Minnesota United. They set an unwanted record during their first game uh, at the weekend, Chris. Yeah, they lost 5-1 to Portland, which, I mean, it's difficult because Portland had quite a disappointing season last year. And I think, they're looking to bounce back massively in 2017. So not the ideal opposition. And, and you know, the funny thing is it was it was kind of a close game for, for the most part. It was only sort of the last portion where things really started to get away from them. And I think you saw a similarity with Minnesota and Atlanta in that sense that after the 75-minute mark, they both looked pretty gassed. Um, but it would be unfair, I think, to, to single out individuals who made mistakes for Minnesota because, again, it's it's a collective that, that goes up or down. The, the one thing that I think is a, is a silver lining for them is the fact Christian Ramirez, who was their kind of star man in NASL, already has his first MLS goal, and it was a really well-taken one. Um, there was a lot of questions about him and whether he could step up to this level and whether he could handle it. If, if Friday night is anything to go by, then I think he'll have a, a fantastic career in MLS because he does seem like a very talented uh, centre-forward. So there's a lot for them still to do. They've, there's some players that I think haven't uh, been able to show what they can do yet. And of course it is. It's it's that minute sample size of one game. So you, you don't want to draw any massive conclusions yet. But I think both will agree they've got work to do. Another man taking the headlines, Clint Dempsey, who returned, uh, having not played in a competitive game since August, after being diagnosed with an irregular heartbeat, he returned for Seattle, played for the full game, and pulled one back in a 2-1 defeat to Houston, Chris. He did. It was a, it was a good finish by, by him. I think I've got a slight concern with Seattle this season, though, because, again, there was a lot of that playoff run that felt like it was the perfect storm. It was it was very much momentum, I think, that, that carried them through it in, in parts. And... I just don't know if they've got the same balance this time around. They let Tyron Mears go to Atlanta in the off-season. They've got a DP spot still open that they was taught they were going to use on Kashiki Honda, the AC Milan and, and former CSK Moscow midfielder. But I just feel like maybe there just needs to be a little bit more pace in there. At the minute, you're looking for Jordan Morris or Jovin Jones to really stretch the opposition. Now, when you consider Jones as a left-back and, and Morris, I think, is, is someone that is still developing himself, it would be better if they had just a different option. Um, but again, if there's, if there's one thing I'm confident of, it's that the, the group at that, that club are, are very intelligent and, and very diligent. So whoever they do 
opt to spend the money on. I think it'll it'll be a good deal. I think they'll have learned a lot from the the Nelson Valdez deal. We also saw Orlando City edging out uh, New York City FC, a 1-0 win, uh, despite two of their bigger players going off injured. Yeah, I mean, Kakar is always going to be a miss. Um, but I actually think in, in Giles Barnes, they've got someone that could be a perfect foil for, for Kyle Lahren, um across the season. Because if there's one thing I've noticed about Giles, it's that he does like to come a little bit deeper and, and move around to target forward. Um, he's got a lot of intelligence. And I, I just think that even though it didn't work out for him in England, it has worked for the most part in, in MLS. Now, Laren his strike partner, I think he's destined for Europe. Um, I'm very cautious when I say that about an MLS player because I think sometimes it's easy to get trapped in that bubble of seeing someone thrive in this league and saying, well, you know, they must be able to transfer to Europe easily. I just think he's got so much in his locker um, and he's still so young as well. That's the thing. There's a, there's a few players like that, though, and I'm sure we will do it, come on to that in, in videos and topics and things during the course of the this year. But it's it's a real difficult one for Orlando in that sense because I look at that team and a lot of it is invested in Laren and Kakar. And if and we know Kakar's out for six weeks, it looks like, if injuries sort of plague them this season, I just fear they'll have another disappointing year. And when you consider the NYCFC, the expansion side that joined them that same year, were able to make the playoffs last year, I would argue on the surface of things, are a good bet to make it this year. You've got to think Orlando does it um, this time around. Finally, I mean, overall, we've heard a lot of talk of improved quality in MLS with some observing a significant addition of talent during the off-season. Did we see evidence of that in this opening weekend overall? Yeah, I think you saw flashes of stuff. I think, you know, guys like Almiron, uh, Martinez, they were, were fairly good. I think... Uh, Alexander Ring of New York City FC caught my eyes as someone that gives them something a bit different in midfield. The, the difficulty is there are a lot of nuances to, to Major League Soccer. Some of those are travel-related, obviously. Others are the fact that the games can be a bit more open. There's maybe not as much tactical structure to things, and that can be difficult. Um, I, I watched someone like Albert Rusnak for Real Salt Lake, and I, I didn't think he had the greatest weekend personally from what I saw and I think look what you're seeing overall is a genuine shift towards younger players the the idea of and we touched on this when we started discussing MLS here the idea of signing a player that is very well established is a, is a known name is not as appealing as it once was because the truth is in a lot of cases you have to carry that player as a team and I think increasingly the, the desire to win things and be successful is far trumping having the ability to, to sell shirts. I think clubs are realising, for the most part, that there's better talent within their regions in Argentina, places like that. Um, in fact, the New York Times just did a good piece on that. And I think what that's leading clubs into believing, and rightly so, is that if we win stuff, then people will want to buy the shirts anyway. Whereas if we try and sell them the shirt before we sold them the success, it's just not going to work. Let's go to Europe, guys, and round up the action from the top European leagues. Not literally. Oh, not literally. Um, should we start in Italy, Lawrence? Oh, do you want to? 
Yeah, I would like to. <clears throat> Udinese won, Juventus won. We saw a big gap going into the weekend and Juventus has been pegged back after a draw with Udinese, who, despite dominance and possession uh, from uh, Juventus and uh, them sh- showering and peppering uh, Udinese with corners, they didn't get as many shots as Udinese. And I think Udinese made the best of the game. I watched about an hour's highlights uh, worth of this match. And simply put, it was just that Udinese made more of their chances um, than Juventus did. And ultimately, it was a cross from the right which saved the point for Juventus um, in the 60th minute. And then they just weren't able to push on from there and, and get more. Um, uh, again, lovely performance from Juventus. And, you know, they controlled so much of it. They strangled a lot of Udinese. But in the end, Udinese did manage to play around a lot of what I think most people have considered the very controlling Juventus side this season. Still, they're eight points uh, eight points ahead of uh, the nearest chasing pack, who are, of course, Roma and Napoli. Roma losing 2-1 at home to Napoli, who played beautifully around uh, around Roma. And uh, part of it was the highlight of this game. Did anyone else see the dog wee? No, the, the, mm. the dog wee. Yes. You didn't, you didn't see Mertens. reference to Dries Mertens' celebration, I think. You didn't see Dries Mertens sort of uh, beautifully lift the ball over uh, on, on rushing Chesney and just, for some reason, go over to the corner flag and pee like a dog? Um, I can't even know why he did it. The, the only um, crumb of insight I had on this game was that uh, Legazette de la Sport called it the Battle of the Mohicans um, because you had oh, nine goal and against Hamzik. Good. Uh, not that... Nianglan managed to influence the game as much as he could have. Um, ultimately, Napoli coming away with a 2-1 win. Uh, I also read that uh, Dries Mertens called Naples, Na- Naples um, uh, the most beautiful place in the world. And I'm going to go there very soon, so I'll, I'll tell you whether it is. Well, you can confirm. Uh, or deny it. Is this yeah. Or deny Yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, Pepe Reina is having quite the run of form at the moment. Um, and whilst he did concede a goal against Roma, he's made some really key uh, saves in trying to keep Napoli in this title fight. So uh, what, whilst Liverpool still seems to be struggling, more reports that every goalkeeper who's left Liverpool has since gone on to do great things. Um, and then, of course, Milan won 3-1 against Chievo. Done. Boom. Uh, let's leave. Italy and beautiful Naples. Should we go to Germany, Dave? Why not? Not literally. Yeah, because Gert Hart goals this weekend was scoring all the goals. In fact, the Bundesliga this weekend had more goals than any other league in Europe. In terms of the big ones, Dortmund beat Bayer Leverkusen 6-2. An absolute cracker. Roger Smith's last game in charge. In fact, he was sacked uh, the day after the defeat in Dortmund. Um, Abemiang grabbing a brace, Pulisic grabbing a goal, Schürrle from the penalty spot, Guerrero rounding off the scoring and Usman Dembele starting the route. But the Bundesliga started on uh, Friday night. Leipzig uh, went to Augsburg, um, a really, really good game of football, really interesting, uh, a tactical game, uh, a five sort of four, one up against um, Leipzig's, 4-3-3 that they've switched to in recent weeks after Jonas Paulson's injury. It was a really good game. Uh, Naby Keita was so good in that first half. He's going to be one of the best players in the world. He just has it all. He has everything a midfielder can do. He can tackle like Kante. He's got great ball control. His, uh, you know, his ability to find a forward pass is, is, is fantastic. But he plays a lot of high percentage passes, but he finds them. The assist for the first goal was brilliant. But unfortunately, Leipzig drawing 2-2 uh, with Augsburg. Augsburg scored some pretty 
both of their goals were good. The first one was a, a strike from outside the area and the second was a, a fantastic counter-attack, which unfortunately leaves them um, now, in fact, seven points behind Bayern Munich, who beat Cologne uh, on Saturday afternoon. In fact, Bayern Munich were the first team to win in Cologne in 11 months. Orchestrated all by Thiago playing a little bit deeper in midfield. Juan Bernat got forward quite well. Thomas Muller picked up his uh, ninth assist of the season. Only Voigtberg has registered more in the Bundesliga this year. In elsewhere, Hoffenheim won 5-2. Uh, Werder Bremen beat Darmstadt in the clash uh, for a sort of relegation battle, 2-0. Uh, we had on Sunday, we had Borussia Mönchengladbach beating Schalke 4-2 as well. Another quality game in the Bundesliga. And that's why you want to go over there and check out some of those uh, some of those games. Hamburg as well, resurgent, beating Hertha Berlin. Hertha Berlin had a fantastic start to the season, but have dropped her, dropped off and now are in fifth position. Position. Hamburg battling relegation now at level on points with Wolfsburg, who in fact were doing very, very well with uh, De Bruyne and, and so forth a few seasons ago. But they seem to have gone in a really sticky patch of form. And that is about that for the Bundesliga, Adam. Let's say our feeders in to the Bundesliga. Hola to La Liga. Uh, an yeah. interesting. See how no, very good. <laughs> an interesting weekend. Uh, Barcelona warming up for their Champions League. Second leg against PSG, where they need five goals and a clean sheet at home by scoring five goals and getting a clean sheet at home, albeit against Celta Vigo, who are slap bang in the middle of the table. Uh, Lionel Messi, though, in sparkling form right now. Two sensational trademark solo goals, uh, curling in one from the edge of the area, wrong foot in the goalkeeper with the other. Two assists as well, one for a delightful, disgusting Neymar chip. Uh, the other fat Samuel Umtiti to poke home. Even Rakitic completing the route to send Barca one point clear at the top of the table, albeit second place Madrid having a game in hand yet to play uh, Sevilla's title hopes meanwhile were dented with a one all draw at Alaves they remain third uh, four points off the top while rounding out the top four are Atletico Madrid uh, moved back into those Champions League places with a comfortable 3-0 win over Valencia two for Griezmann one for Gamero but everyone just happy to see Fernando Torres back at the Vicente Calderon uh, the Spaniard washing from the stands two days after being released from hospital hospital following that nasty head injury uh, he suffered in their last game. So good to see Torres back to full health and hopefully we'll see him back on the pitch soon. Player of the week, we asked for your suggestions on Twitter and you did not disappoint. Lots of shouts coming in, so thank you for sending those in. Do follow us on Twitter at The Front Free and get your suggestions in every Monday. The results this week in fourth place, Fernando Llorente with 16% of the votes in third place, Kylian Mbappe, Oof. 17%. The youngest ever player in Liga and history, I believe, to reach 10 goals in a season. Uh, second place is Lionel Messi. Two goals and two assists for the Barcelona star. But in first place, for that hat-trick for Torino, it is Andrea Bellotti. Andrea, boxer Ferreira Roche, sitting right here with your name on them. Congratulations for winning the prestigious honour of the TF3 Player of the Week. Before we go this week, we have to talk about Russia, Lawrence. Um, Do we? Yeah, there's been an interesting development in <laughs> in Russia ahead of that uh, 2018 World Cup. Uh, the nationalist MP Igor Lebedev has proposed legalised fighting of who... Oh, it's such a... Yeah... I mean, what do you make of this? This could be the, the next big spectator sport, no? I mean, it's similar to UFC, but it's just not. Um, what, this is the same guy who, when he went to visit the Euros, said to the Russians, well done, lads. 
um, it, it, it's just worrying because essentially what he's doing is he's normalizing fighting step by step to try to make it into something which other people in Europe uh, somehow have to accept. I don't know why, because I don't fucking know. It, it, it's the, a the, pretty the is, insane What he's trying to do suggestion. is make something crazy out of it. Um, and he, what, he's, what he's suggesting is let's, let's legalize uh, certain kinds of fights between fans because certain fans want to fight. Um, and essentially what he's trying to do is instill a sense of national pride uh, in the Russians. It's... But, bullshit yeah uh, he's drawing up rules for draka the russian word for fight of course uh which he proposes would involve 20 unarmed competitors on each side in an organized brawl i think what's so crazy about it is that uh, he sees this as a pioneering move you know uh well i mean to some extent it is pioneering but the problem is that the, the it many is things, literally many things are pioneering the pizza pocket was pioneering do you know what i mean yeah was but it now good? there's hundreds of there's millions of people who hate themselves you know there are there are lots of things that are pioneering but there's no bloody need to do them you know snapchat's pioneering but it'll die soon because of instagram oh, it's worth four billion mate I think it's fine. Yeah, um, I know, but that's the kind of that's kind, of, and in many ways, that is kind of the point. Is that actually what what he's what he's hiding behind this, is the politics of Europe in uh, order to get to what he wants. It should uh, be pointed out, you know. Dominance. It should be pointed out. He's the he's the he's representing the opposition party. He's on the board of the Russian Football Union, however. But uh, in the published proposal, he said Russia would be a pioneer in a new world sport. Fans arrive, for example, and start picking fights, and they get the answer. Challenge accepted. A meeting in a stadium at a set time. Very strange. I mean, to be fair, it sounds very tempting for a, for an England lout. But I think such as you yourself. There, I, I'm, what I'm also wondering though is how does logistically that even work? I and mean, when you get your head absolutely caved in by a Russian, what happens then? Are you taken to hospital for free? Like, I just what, get the feeling it's not going to happen. Um, and I think that would be good for everyone involved. Yeah, sure. Guess, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Um, I, it just let's not legitimize it by giving it any reasonable reaction. Yeah, let's it's not, a bad. Let's not legitimize idea. it. Violence. You know, who, who do you think would win you, in a fight out of us for? Just before we go, someone tweeted this out earlier in the week, didn't they? <laughs> Did they? Who would win in a fight between the four of us? I think I someone think, said something like that, wasn't it? I think you know. Dave's got a bit of that sort of northern roughness about him. I think, you know, he'd fight dirty for one. He's not scrappy enough. Yeah, I think he Chris is scrappy. I think Chris no. would be tough to handle, actually. I think he's got a swing on him. Um, and I think, you know, Lawrence, you'd you'd go down pretty easy. I think you'd be... <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence would be the first one out of the belt. It's funny. That, that's, great, that's, great, that's great talk from a little bitch. I'd use my doughy, my doughy fists, mate. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be no, comfortable. That's, that's, a really that's a really good point, actually. Adam. To be fair, I mean, that's the thing. The dough, they'd be soft. They'd be like pillows. Punch, yeah. You know, I'd be swinging at you. I just wouldn't do any damage. And I'd just be sitting um, there taking it like, oh, that's a great massage. Thanks. I think I could confidently. I don't think I'd win in a fight against many people. Um, so you know, I'm, I'm, well, I could have you. I'm confident to say that Dave or Chris, you know, even though I've got the height and the reach advantage, you know, which is significant, I still think, you know, maybe Dave, maybe Chris, I concede, you know. 
Your lot technique in the arena, I reckon, Adam. That's your reckon? problem. <laughs> yeah, but if I was with 20 other men, if I was with 20 other unarmed competitors, I'd let them do all the fighting, you know? I'd fade <laughs> so to the back. You'd, you'd just... be having a lifetime dream fulfilled, would you not? <laughs> yeah. Adam, I'm not saying it's likely to happen, but if I was to attack you now, would you beat me up? <laughs> Anything to survive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I think that's the perfect place to end the podcast this week. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Until... Thursday when we'll be back with the Q&A as always Lawrence McKenna uh, where can the good people where can the whole find Cash me outside how you? about that? Hmm? Cash me outside I'm not I'm not familiar with this meme is this a meme that's been doing the rounds? Uh, yeah it is yeah yeah. Cash uh, me outside um, Dave yeah. would you like to cash something outside is that how it works? Um, yes what are we cashing? The Statman Anyone Dave podcast send... you want to plug oh, that? Oh yeah Anyone wants to send any donations? Send them over. Have you got any? Snapman Dave Football Podcast. Have you got any change Monday in the letterbox? Friday. No, no change in the letterbox. I've been waiting a while, actually. Send about buy 20... Dave a coffee. Oh, yes, yeah, you can. That's the thing, isn't it? Send me some cash. Maybe a grand would be great. It's not desperate. I love how, I, love how um, I took it from let's do something normal to send me some cash. <laughs> yeah, just in a bag. Leave it outside my house. That'd be fucking scary, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> I'd be delighted. Um, Chris, would you like to plug anything this week before Thursday that the people can go and find more of your delightful wordings and musings? Uh, I've written something on Sunderland Struggles. I will be writing something on Manolo Gabbiadini as well and potentially Leroy Sane. Wow. In Sane. Let's just rinse that as much as we can. Uh, guys, you can find me on Twitter, Adam Bullard. If you go there, you'll find a delightful gif which has been completely rinsed over the weekend i think i've used it four times so far yeah um, i think i've used it as well yeah it's just got so many uses you know harry kane scores bam zlatan misses a penalty bam he gets banned it's, it's just never ends it's the gif that keeps on giving in many ways keeps on gifting in many ways <laughs> beautiful guys thanks so much for listening we will see you on thursday until then have a great week Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 